Thanks for checking out the Bridge Podcast. It's not a mistake you found us. We pray God speaks to you today. Check us out Sundays at 10.30 a.m. For more information, go to sfbridge.org. I am sorry to disappoint because I'm not as good looking as Pastor Chris or as awesome as he is, so I apologize up front, but you guys are stuck with me anyway, so that's okay anyway. If you haven't met me, I would love to meet you. Um, my wife, Megan, is sitting here in the second row. We just moved into the area a few weeks ago. I graduated from North Central Bible College down in Minneapolis about two months ago already. And we're already figuring out what the real world's like, and it's a little scary. So we'd love to have some friends, meet you guys. And um, yeah, today we are continuing our series called Deep Roots, where we're going to go through the book of Hebrews. And I'm super excited to talk about chapter 4. Do we have any avid TV show watchers? Maybe it's Netflix, or maybe it's like on TV, or every week you tune in. Okay, well, a little bit of a vulnerability here. My wife and I are Netflix addicts. Uh, we love to find shows where we, every week we tune in, and we found out that usually about the third or fourth episode, almost every time they'd have a little bit of a recap, where they show you the highlights from the first three episodes, so you can get caught up, or your first time tuning in, you can understand it, or you're like me and you have a terrible memory, it's always good to get a little bit of a review of what's happening. So with that in mind, um, I'm going to recap what we've been talking about so far. Like Matt said, if it's your first time here, we're super excited that you're here. hope that you have a great time here. And if you are a regular tender of us, it's always good to know what's going on. So in week one, Pastor Chris kicked it off with Hebrews chapter one, and we found out that it was all about the glory and the honor of Christ and how Jesus was greater than the angels. He was greater than Moses, which was a big deal because in the Jewish world, Moses is like the Michael Jordan, or he's like the Abe Lincoln, where he's just like the guy that everyone looks up to. And so for Jesus to be better than him is a big statement and how that's true of us Christians today. And then in chapter 2, he talked about how even though God is so amazing, even though God is so integral part of our lives, we can still drift away. We have these distractions in our life that can pull us from God's will and get us off track how important it is to keep ourselves from drifting away. And then if we're not careful, last week we talked about how you can actually depart from God and how you can completely stand outside of his will after so many repeated, not necessarily sins, but just turning away of God and how we need to be intentional about staying true to ourselves, staying true to our faith. Which leads us to chapter 4, one of my absolute favorites in the book of Hebrews. And so I'm super excited just to get right into it. Um, i got to warn you. If I were to unpack every single verse of this chapter, we might be here until dinner time. And I don't want to keep you guys from your lunch plans, hanging out with the kids, whatever you got planned today. So I am going to summarize the first 11 verses. But you don't have to worry. I'm not leaving anything out. I'm not doing anything like that. I just want to make sure you guys can, you know, not fall asleep on me. <laughs> In Hebrews chapter 4, 1 through 11, we find that the author, who we don't necessarily know who it is, we don't think it's Paul, but we're not sure who it is, is writing to a Jewish audience. And basically he's saying, I need you guys to respond to what I'm saying. In chapter 3 last week, we talked about how Moses was trying to lead the Israelites to the promised land. And despite all that they were going through, they, they just disobe were disobedient to God. They grew up knowing God. They were God's chosen people. They saw bread falling from the heaven in the middle of the desert. They saw the Red Sea get split open and walk through on dry ground, but yet still... They were disobedient, Yes, yet they were still doubting God and how they had fallen away from him in that way. And so now the author is saying, don't be like them. 
Do we ever have that in our life where we tell our kids or we tell our friends, hey, do not be like that guy. See him? He's trouble. Don't be like him. That's what he's doing right here. He's saying, don't be like the Israelites. You guys were just like them. You grew up in Jewish culture. You're Christians now. Don't be like them. And so if you were to copy and paste Pastor Chris's sermon about not falling away and encouraging others in the faith, it would work perfectly right here. He's basically just expounding upon this more and more and more. And as I was preparing my sermon for this week, I was like, yeah, I'm pretty sure Chris just said that last week. So I'm not going to reinvent the wheel in that way. But it leads us up to the point of asking how. Okay, how? If we're, not, if we're not supposed to be like them, if we're not supposed to do this or do that, how do we do that? Because, quite frankly, he didn't leave them with much at this point. So that leads us to chap- or verse 12 in chapter 4. I'm just going to read it, 12, thir- 12 and 13. It says, For the word of God is alive and active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword, and it penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart, and nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. So how do we encourage others? How do we stay true to ourselves? On, on, on the notes that you gave, that's, this is the first blank. And simply we encourage others with the word of God. It's that simple. Um, these are very, very, very popular verses. I think if I were to do a raise of hands and ask if anyone's heard this verse, some of you might have heard it, whether it's you know, on Facebook or whatever it is. Like These are very common verses, but I think it would do us well to unpack it, to, to really digest what each of these verses is saying because I think there's a lot of validity into everything that's going on in here. And so the first part I really want to dive into is simply that the Word of God is alive and it's active. Very common words, but very descriptive words here that we'll find. And what it's trying to say is the Bible is not just a whole bunch of cliche, motivating phrases. Whenever you have a bad situation, a good situation, let's just copy and paste this phrase on here because this looks good. Or maybe if you're trying to get a graduation card in the mail, let's find one that says Jeremiah 29:11. for I know the plans I have for you. All good stuff, but the point is in this chapter is that it's saying that the Word of God is more than that. It's more than just copy and paste. It, it, it means something for here and it's today. It's alive and it's active. And as I was thinking about this, I thought of my wife. Um, if you don't know my wife, um, she's got about 450 million great characteristics about herself, and I've got about two, so we're a little uneven that way. But in any case, she's amazing, and one of the things that she loves to do is write me letters. You know, whether it's, you know, I'm going off on a trip or whether I'm just having a bad day, she somehow finds, like, a way to stash a little note and just encourage me. And uh, about a couple weeks ago, I was in Israel for three weeks, and she was not with me. And um, after only being married a year, that was a little tough. We were getting pretty lonely. And so, fortunately, I had a journal of ours that she wrote to me. And almost every day when I would begin to miss her, I would just read it. And I would just read the things she was saying to me. And it's almost as if I could feel that she was right there. You know, she would write something funny, and I could hear her giggling or whatever. And I could just almost picture her saying these things to me because I've just recognized my wife's voice through these, through these letters over time. And I thought about it, and I realized that these letters are no longer just black ink on white paper. They're alive. I can, I can feel, I can sense my wife. And I think if the word of God is alive and active and it's divine and it's inspired, how much more true is that of the word of God for us today? What if we, instead of just viewing the Bible as this thing we need to read every day if we're going to be a Christian? Or what if it's instead of this thing that we go to when we're 
when we're struggling or when we're rejoicing, when we're X, Y, Z, whatever the situation is in our life, what if instead of just reading it because we're, we know we're supposed to, we read it as if it's talking to us. It's alive and it's active for us today. And I think what the author is trying to get at this point is that if it's alive and active today, that means we don't have to worry necessarily about falling away. You know, when I was in Israel, I got to learn a lot about Jewish culture because um, if you're born in Israel, you are by descendant a Jew. That's, that's how everything works. And so we got to learn a lot about Jewish culture. And let me tell you something. They know the Old Testament. They, they consider the Old Testament the book of law or the Torah is what they call it. And they know it well. And what it really challenged me to do is that for them, it's not just something they have to do. It's something they live by. It dictates how they live their life. And in that case, it's alive and it's active because it's not just it's not just an old text. It's something that they are bringing into their life every single day. And I think whether you're a, a Christian who has been a Christian for a long time or whether you're maybe even doubting who God is or, or what he's all about, I want to encourage you that the word of God is it's, it's real and it's, it's encouraging. It's, it's for today. And so it doesn't matter where you're at, no, no guilt, no shame. I just think we can all be encouraged that we can read the text for today and we can be encouraged. And why is that? Second or third blank on, on our notes is that God's word judges our thoughts and our actions. We don't have to be fake. I don't know about you guys, but that's super encouraging to me. When I'm, when I'm going through stuff, I don't have to worry about, God, I'm going to try and make my life all in a nice little bow here. I'm going to make sure it's all good to go. He knows me. He knows my thoughts. He knows my actions. And he judges everything I do based on how I read. And I've got I've to warn you guys that if we begin to read the Bible, truly read it, we will be changed. I saw a quote uh, this past week that said, so many times people ask, can I be so-and-so and be a Christian? And the answer is yes. But the next question we've got to ask ourselves is, can I be this and continue fall? Or Sorry, I just botched it. <laughs> can I do this and continue to be my same self? And the answer is no. You see, the more we read the Bible, the more we find that our thoughts and our actions are judged, the more we're going to become more like Christ. The more we're going to be challenged to just let God work in these areas of our life. And that's a very, very encouraging thing. It's not meant to be intimidating. It's not meant to be discouraging. It's the reality of that we will continue to be changed by the work of Christ through his word. If you want to get to know God, we've got to read his word because that is all about him. It's all about who he is and what he does for us and through us. But there's got to be something more because like I just said, the Israelites, if they were devout Jews, they knew the Old Testament, right? They had to have. Even though the Bible is now Old Testament and New Testament, the Old Testament was written, written way before the New Testament. So they would have had the Hebrew text or the Torah. But yet still we find that they were disobedient. Which tells us that the word of God is amazing. It tells us all about who he is. It challenges us. It shapes us. It does motivates everything we do. But yet at the same time, knowing the word of God is not enough. You can read all about the owner's manual in your vehicle, but if you don't know how to drive, your car is never going to be any use to you. You've got you've to put rubber to the road. You've got you've to make it stick. So what is that? I want to read one more text today, and then I want to ask you a question. So, Angie, if you could put up that text for me, thank you. 
Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. So I've got to ask you, who is God to you? Who is God to me? Just, you don't have to try and come up with the answer. Just ask yourself and honestly answer it for yourself. Is he personal? Is he strict? Is he far off? Is he mean? I know in my life I've always, I've, every four one of those characteristics I've thought of at one point. Before I knew Jesus, I always thought he was standoffish. He was supreme. He was big. He was mean. And when I would do things wrong, I was being punished for him. Or he would come down and strike me dead. And I'm sure we've all felt that before. But in verses 14 and 15, it tells us that God is our high priest. And so I'm going to, again, be vulnerable. I didn't really know what a high priest was. So if you're sitting here and you're like, I don't know what a high priest is. You're in good company. Don't worry. But a, a high priest is another word for a chief priest. In Jewish culture, the chief priest was like the main guy. All other pastors would come to him. All other priests would come to him. And he would, would be the one who would initiate doctrine. He could do whatever he, was, whatever he wanted to do for their movement. And so if Jesus is our high priest, it means he's also our chief priest. And again, if we go back to to the book of Hebrews and to who it's written to. They're writing to Jewish Christians. So they understand this lingo. They understand what it means for Jesus to be the high priest, and that was a big deal. But other tasks of the high priest are also they offer sacrifices for themselves and for their people. So every so often in the year, they'd have these festivals. And the high priest would have two lambs, and he would take one in for himself into the Holy of Holies where no one else could go, and he would slaughter a lamb and sacrifice it for the sins of the people. And then he would take in another one for his own sins, and then they'd all be clean until the next festival. And as Pastor Chris said a few weeks ago, it's a good thing we don't have to do that anymore because I'm pretty sure we don't have anyone left in our church. So let's be thankful for that. But the point remains the same, that Jesus comes in and takes our sins for us. He laid down himself. He took himself out of the game as a sacrifice for our sins that we wouldn't have to do that anymore. We can walk around redeemed and clean and new every day because of our high priest. And that's a big deal. That's a big deal. And then lastly, a high priest intercedes between God and man. We see that in this verse that that Jesus ascended into heaven and now he's at the right hand of the Father. And so he's interceding on our behalf. You see, God is just... He sees our sin, but yet Jesus is saying, hey, I covered him. I covered her. Like, I know, they're, I know they're doing this right now, but you should see how much I love them and how much they have to give. And so Jesus intercedes for us, and, and he's between God and man. But all this sounds great and dandy, but sometimes a high priest can seem unrelatable, untouchable, almost like, He's so good. He's so perfect. Why could I ever go to him with anything? You ever have those Facebook friends who post all the time about like, their family or whether they're on vacation or whether they're in the car or whatever, and you always think, I wish I had their life? 
I bet they don't struggle with half things I think. My kids are crazy. Like they run around all the time with their running around, yelling all the time, and these kids over here are sitting down for a nice family picture with bow ties, and it's all is good. You see, things on Facebook can make us feel like that we can't touch other people. We see other people's highlights, and we think, I could never be like them. And I think a lot of times the author, the readers of this text were thinking that Jesus as the high priest was the same way. He was sinless. He's the high priest. Like he, he doesn't understand what it's like to struggle, what it's like to go through temptation. But we see in this verse that says the high priest sympathizes in our weakness. And if you look at the Greek text of where this when this is written, it shows that it actually means that he suffers with us. You see, sympathy is not strong enough in this case because Jesus isn't just like he's not just sympathetic like. Oh, I'm sorry about that. It must be tough. No, it's, it's he suffers with us. He's in the midst of it, shoulder by shoulder, walking through things with us. Because he was here and he experienced the same temptations, he experienced the same burdens as we do, but yet he still understands how we struggle with it, even though he was perfect. You see, my wife, I had to ask her if I could share this, but um, her dad passed away when, he, when she was eight. And it was a very fatal, very unexpected passing. And she's a very strong woman. She's much stronger than I am, no shame. But the reality is that, of course, there's days when she misses her dad a lot. And I can try the best I can to to comfort her, to console her. But she has people in her life who also lost a parent at a young age. And when they talk together, they're on a whole other level as I am. I still have my parents. I still have my dad. So I don't know what it's like to go through that pain or what it's like to go through that struggle. But they do. Her friends do. And so together they can, they can mourn, they can grieve, and, and they can encourage each other better than I can at some points because I never understood it. And the same thing is with Jesus in our, in our relationship with him. You know, he's on the same level as you. He understands what it's like to struggle with this. He understands what it's like when someone cuts you off the road and you want to show them that you're number one with a different finger. I stole that one from my other pastor. I'm sorry, it's not original, but the point remains the same. Or he knows what it's like to try and cut out that habit. Or what it's like to get away from that computer screen. He knows what it's like to go through pain and loss and temptation because he was down here. He was 100% God, but also 100% human. 100%. But the cool thing is that he conquered it. Even though he went through the same sin, or not the same sin, the same temptation and the same struggles, he did it without sinning. You know what that means for us? We don't have to sin either. We can cling to God. We can go to him because he sympathizes and he suffers with us, but yet we can follow in his footsteps and we can go through this life not sinless because we're not perfect, but we can counteract the, the enemy's schemes. We can rise against our flesh and we can hold on to Jesus and get through our struggles. So I've got to ask you again, who is God to you? Scripture tells us that he empathizes with us in our weakness. He, he'll help us get through it, yet he also helps us conquer it. You see, but it doesn't just happen by nature. There's, there's one more step. In verse 16, it says, 
Let us then approach God's throne with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. You see, because of what Christ did for you, we can walk right up to the throne of God. We can walk right up to where he sits in heaven and say, hey, I am going through this. I'm scared. I'm nervous. I'm struggling with this. I'm tempted. Whatever you name it, you can be right there and ask him. You don't have to be scared. You don't have to be nervous. You don't have to be hesitant. You can walk right up there with confidence. And for someone who's usually timid like me and is, was often scared of, of God's power, that's a big deal. Because we can be confident in, in what he's done for us, and we can go to him with whatever we, whatever we are struggling with or whatever we're going through. And, it's, and we see in this text that when we go there, what we'll find is mercy and grace. A lot of times we use these terms interchangeably and synonymously saying, oh, I'm just going to be gracious to you. I'm going to give you mercy. But they're actually two very different things. You see, mercy means forgiveness. It means that when we go to him, there will be an unconditional pardon of sin. There will be an exchange of our shame and guilt for his redemption and his peace. So not only is he, we get up there and he says, I know, but I got you anyway. I love you. He hugs us and he's merciful to us, but then he says, I'm going to give you my grace, which means empowerment. I forgive you and I love you, but I'm going to give you the strength to get through this loss. I'm going to give you the discernment to know what's right and what's wrong. I'm going to give you the courage to stand up for what we need to do. See, in too many times we try and go Rambo in our faith walk and we say, I'm going to get my life clean and then I'll be good. Or, I got myself into this mess and God's punishing me, so I'm just going to hunker down and then wait until he stops beating me down and then get up. Or sometimes the most dangerous one is, I'll figure out all this Jesus stuff later. For now, I'm going to do my own thing and then I'll come back and get forgiveness later. But we find instead that God's calling us to submit ourselves to him. To come to his throne and just to be raw with him. What if we could just be raw with God? See, this week was a bit of a rough one in our household. Uh, my wife and I are transitioning into full-time careers, and after the college life, that can be a little difficult. But um, on top of all that, we got a little kitten last Monday, and he was a little cutie. Um, but about two or three days in, he started to get really sick. And we thought it was just a little URI infection. We went to the vet three or four times, and they're like, yeah, it's this happened in kittens, it's common. Give him some meds, he'll be okay. Um, but he just never got better. And last Tuesday night, uh, he was really sick. My wife had fallen asleep, and I was just up. And I was just, I was frustrated. I was angry. I was like, God, I know he's just a kitten, but like he's part of our family. Why? It's our first pet. It's it's been a tough season of life anyway. Why? 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 I didn't have to sugarcoat it. I didn't have to be like, God, you're good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No. I could go right up to his throne with confidence. I'm like, God, this is not, I don't know what's going on. Why? And I wish I could say the story got better, but on Wednesday we found out that he had a very, very, very rare incurable disease called FIP, and we had to put him down. And my wife and I were a mess. We didn't see it coming at all. We were just upset. And again, that night I was asked by God to be raw. 
Don't pretend you have it all together. Don't pretend you're fine. Just be sad. Just sit with me. Just tell me what's going on. But this does have a happy ending. We got a new kitty a few days ago, and he's amazing. We've made some great connections with the vet, and all is good. And the biggest thing is I learned that it's okay to be raw with God. It's okay to let him know how you actually feel, because he can take it. And so the end of this chapter ends with a call to action. We need to pray. We need to go up to God, and we need to say, hey, I'm struggling with this temptation. I'm struggling in my marriage. I'm struggling in my family. And we just need to be real with you. We need to be raw. Because when you go up there, you're going to find mercy and grace. And you will walk away changed, encouraged, and empowered. This has been a podcast of The Bridge Church. Have a great week. Stop in Sunday sometime and visit. If you would like to give, you can do so online at sfbridge.org. Have a great week.